I'll be reading from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look! Here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the word of the Lord. I think the store is called Cloud Nine. And basically, they are there. Uh, They don't want to be there. They don't want to work. And uh, so they're just kind of passing time. And if you have ever been into a big box store lately and tried to get some help, you probably uh, would agree that this is reality, right? Uh, I was in one uh, on Friday, and I was looking for something, and I, uh, it was a, a store that was in another town, uh, and I didn't really know exactly where everything was, and I went down one aisle, and I, I saw one of the employees uh, with uh, a vest that looked very similar to this. And I didn't want to ask. I am too proud to, this proves that I am a man, right? Uh, I am too proud to ask for directions or for help. And so I was uh, trying to, uh, to find what I needed, and I passed the employee. The employee said nothing. Uh, really didn't even recognize that I was there. We made eye contact, and again, I didn't ask. I just kept on going, but I was obviously looking for something. And uh, I went around to the next aisle, and then I, I saw uh, this woman that was coming uh, towards me and had a, a blue vest on, and we made eye contact. And again, uh, and I was really looking. I was getting close, and I was looking at the aisles and all that, and she said nothing, nothing at all. And uh, I just thought, well, um, not very good service here. It would be nice if somebody would say, you know, what are you looking for? Can I help you find what you're looking for? But that didn't happen. That's a great question to ask. It's a great question to be asked. What are you looking for? And that's the question that we begin with this morning in this gospel account where Jesus is beginning his ministry. And last week we looked, uh, and and we still have this up for Epiphany, 
because we think about the significance of what took place as God was revealing uh, Jesus to the world. And the Magi were traveling a great distance to, to see this child that had been born as this bright light was shining on what God was doing in the world. And, and we talk about this being uh, epiphany. And epiphany is it's a spiritual awakening. It is a light bulb that goes off. It is the understanding of something that maybe has been hidden in mystery. And it is being revealed. And that's what God is doing in the world uh, with the birth of Christ. And we looked at last week how we jumped right on into the baptism of Christ uh, as John described what that was like as uh, John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And as he did that, this was the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And so we're shifting gears pretty quickly, aren't we? I mean, Christmas just happened and here we are already with Jesus calling his first disciples. But John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, he uh, had his own disciples. As he was out there in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey and kind of acting like a crazy man, just yelling and screaming like a street preacher, he was attracting some people who said, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And what he was preaching is, that, that all of you are going the wrong direction. And he's preaching to people within his own religion. And he's saying, you have missed the point of what God is doing in the world. You've missed the point completely. Turn away from the way that you think things ought to be done and turn to how God has revealed it to be done in the world. That the kingdom of God is to be about justice. Isn't that what we looked at? Last week, and we talked about this calling that God gave to Israel to be about justice, to be about righteousness in the world, to make sure that uh, people are being treated in the way that God wants them to be treated. A world where we would love God and love neighbor, and that would be really all that we're focused on in this world. And so John says, turn away from all of that. And as a a way of demonstrating that you really believe that, come and get baptized. And this will be a way of of demonstrating that you're serious about your decision to follow God. So Jesus does this. Jesus is baptized. Uh, But we we see here in this text that uh, after this, uh, John is pulling away from the spotlight. And he is saying... Now it's time for Jesus to shine. Uh, Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for. Jesus is the one I've been preparing everybody for. So follow him. And these two followers, disciples of John, are standing there when Jesus comes walking down the road, right? And he says, behold, that right there is the Lamb of God. This is the one to follow. All of the scripture, everything I've been talking about, all of this relates to him. It's now time for you to follow after him. And so uh, they begin to do this. And they follow, they get on the road, begin to follow along with Jesus. But Jesus turns to them and he says, what are you looking for? Some translations uh, put this as, what are you seeking? 
What is it that you're, you're wanting? Not just in life, but what are you wanting to do in following me? What was it that caused you to latch on to John, this, this preacher out in the wilderness who was talking about a new thing that God was doing in the world? What has led you to this point? I'm sure that, and we don't really have uh, very many answers here that come from these two guys, but as they say, well, you know, where are you staying? And, you know, we would like to continue on with you and journey on with you and be your disciples. But we really don't get this deep philosophical response, do we? I think it's also interesting to notice that, that he doesn't say to them, um, you, you know, you, you have to have everything just right. Uh, he doesn't say that you, uh, bless you. Uh, you don't have to have your life together or anything like that. He just asks them this question. What are you looking for? I wonder what we would answer to that. If we were to understand today that we were being asked that question as well, as I think we are, that we get that question from Jesus, and especially as we read this chapter in John, that we have found some interest. In fact, you wouldn't be here today if you didn't have some interest in what God is doing in the world. If you didn't have some interest in Jesus. And so as you come here, you find that this question is there for you. comes right off the page. What are you looking for? And I think we probably have some similar answers, but we also... There, there's some answers that we have that would be different, maybe from the person sitting next to you. Uh, maybe you're at a different part of your life, a different part of your spiritual journey uh, in life, and maybe yours would be a, a little bit different, but it all kind of gets to the same thing, doesn't it? We're all looking for something. I talked to a, a person on the phone this past week who was wanting to end his life. And he um, was still willing to talk about it. As I asked the question, tell me what's going on. Why? Why do you want to end your life? And he said, well, I can't find a peace. I've done some things and I can't forget them. And I don't want to live any longer. He's looking for something. He's looking for something he has not been able to find in whatever else he was doing in his life. These were things he did long ago, and he's been carrying those things with him. These have been burdens, and they are weighing him down to the point where he is willing and ready to end his life. We all have things that we're looking for, and we look in different ways. Now, those are some extreme examples, but... Maybe you're looking for more significance in life. You're looking for meaning. The two first questions, uh, the, the two first philosophical questions that come from two philosophers, Anaximander and Anaximanes. And the, the question was, uh, why am I here? Why do I exist? And what am I to do? Those are also two questions for every business. Uh, Peter Drucker said, what's business and how's business? But if you think about that in terms of the significance of your life, why am I here on this 
planet. I have existence, but what am I supposed to do here? And maybe you've been trying everything to understand why you're here, your significance. People do it. You know, we do it with our jobs. And that's great. It's great to put and define your significance in your job until you lose your job. This is a problem that so many of us have. We, we build our identity in our jobs, and then when it comes time for either retirement or we lose our jobs or we become disabled and we can't work, then we think that we don't matter anymore. Maybe you, find, you try to find your significance in a relationship, and that's great too. But what happens when that relationship is over? Sometimes it's through uh, things that we self-medicate with, whether it's alcohol or drugs, whatever the case may be. We, we look for these things to try to find significance, and we still don't find it. And Jesus comes to us and he says, what are you looking for? Do you really know? And I think Jesus knows what we're looking for. I think he did with those two guys. But he wants them to think about it. What am I looking for? Maybe we are a bit restless. And we haven't really found what it is that we want to do in life and who we want to be. And and we continue looking in all these different ways. I think as a church, this is a good question too. And, and it's a question we need to continue to try to answer. As Jesus would ask us as a church, what are you looking for, Church for the Highlands? What is it that you are trying to become? Or why is it that you are a church? Why are you wanting to follow after me? We've had a membership discovery class last couple of weeks. And uh, it's, it's always fun to go back and look at our vision and our mission and even our bylaws. We pulled out the bylaws this morning in memory of Jay Greenleaf, uh, who um, helped us put those together. And uh, I'm so thankful that uh, he put those together uh, because there are plenty of loopholes, April. No, there no, no loopholes to speak of. But uh, as, as we look at those documents, we remember why we were formed. And to think about what it is that we, if we ever forget what we're looking for, we can go back and think, okay, it's all about Jesus. It's all about loving people in this community with the love of Jesus. That's why we're here. And we can answer that as Jesus asks us, what are you looking for? Why is it that you want to follow me? But the second question that we find, and you can kind of see this interaction where uh, Jesus is kind of reaching out to, to answer these questions, and John is trying to pass off these two disciples to him. And it says the next day, if you look in your, your Bible, by the way, and, and this would be good for you to remember, if you look in John chapter 1, in verse 43, and there's a pew Bible for you there on the front, uh, I saw somebody walking out of here uh, one Thursday night with one. When I say there's a pew Bible for you, it doesn't mean like to take home. <laughs> if you want a Bible, we'll try to get you one. <laughs> no one takes hymnals, Bill. I don't, I don't know. Um, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. We see that this progression is taking place. But if you look up above that, 
The next day, in verse 35, the next day John again was standing with two of his disciples. He says, Behold, here is a Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed him. And when Jesus turned, he said to them, uh, You know, what are you looking for? And then later he says in verse 39, Come and see. And it says they came and they saw. So this is the second big question. Uh, and, And Jesus says to them, Come and see. If you really want to see what I'm doing, if you really want to learn about me, if you really want to follow, you can't do it from where you are right now. You can't just stay there and follow me because I'm moving. I'm doing things that God wants me to do in this world. Jesus has huge plans that that have been given to him by God, and we heard about those there at his baptism. He is the beloved of God. And he has uh, a mission statement that he is to fulfill in the world. And so Jesus says, look, if you really want to know, if you really want to find what you're looking for, come and see. And I like the two words that are there, the the two verbs, the, uh, the aspect of coming along with Jesus, with where he's going. Certainly, that is how you are a follower, you're You're actually following, you're going somewhere behind someone or with someone. But also he wanted them to see. And didn't Jesus give them some incredible sights? Some things uh, for them to not only see but understand. Think about all the places. This reminds me of a Dr. Seuss book. All the places that they would go. Think about them. And all the people that Jesus would would interact with and the people that he would heal and uh, the demons that he would cast out and the, uh, the, the people that he would be able to encourage and give hope to. They would see all of this and it would stay with them forever. They would become true followers. And today, just as Jesus says, what are you looking for? He says, come and see. And as we begin a brand new year, that's a question for us to ask ourselves. Am am I going somewhere? Am I seeing what Jesus is doing around me? What does it mean for us to come along with Jesus? Well, certainly it means that we're not uh, just showing up. And we've never been the kind of church that is made up of Uh, In some churches, there's a lot of sitting and soaking, right? Sit and soakers, they're they're right up there with creasters. You know what a creaster is, don't you? I think it's a a Christmas and Easter person, right? That you only see them at Christmas, and these days it's usually only at Christmas time. You don't see them the rest of the year. And, And it's that sit and soak mentality. I will just show up to church and I'll soak it all in. And then I'll go back to the rest of my week and I'll still be sitting, but then I'll come back to church on Sunday and soak in some more. And there's, there's nothing going out. It's kind of like the Dead Sea. You have all of this that's uh, pouring into it, yet nothing is going out. And Jesus did not want any sit and soaker disciples. And he looks at these guys and he says, Come and see. Come on. We're going places. And that's what he says to us as well. So the 
aspect of going with Jesus where he is going means that, that you are busy doing something for the kingdom of God. And we're a busy church, aren't we? We have lots of things that you can do. We have four particular missional teams to be involved with. And we are called to be involved in the lives of other people, to be outside of the church building. We've said that we want to measure ourselves not so much about how many people come to church on a Sunday morning, but how many of us are out serving in the community during the week. That's what is worth measuring, that we want to be involved. We want to go along with Jesus. But it also means that we want to go along in Scripture. We want to study the the words that Jesus spoke to other people. We want to learn what those are and, and be able to soak those in so that we could give them out to other people. It means that we go along with the things that God is doing in the world. Think about it. We're living in a world where justice is turned upside down, where what is wrong becomes right and what is right becomes wrong. And we see that we are in a, in a world, a post-truth society, as some are describing it. It is a confusing place to be in. And there is no greater time in history for the church to be alive and be going with Jesus than right now. We have so much work to do, and we need to go along with where God leads. But it's by seeing as well. We come and we see. Open your eyes to the things that Jesus is doing all around you. Watch how Jesus is involved in the lives of people that you know and even those you don't know. One of the great things we do here in the church is storytelling. And as we hear people's stories, we go, wow. I can see Jesus at work in that person's life in ways that benefit me and encourage me to keep going on, to keep taking those steps even though they are sometimes extremely difficult. Uh, I read a story about some rock climbers, and uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to climb a wall. I don't recommend it. it it's right up there uh, with, with uh, riding... Uh, or becoming a policeman and riding a motorcycle, especially if you are a motorcycle policeman. That, you know, really doubles it. But uh, this comes from uh, a book that is uh, by David Sturt called uh, Great Work. And he says, Todd Skinner was one of the most respected rock climbers of his generation, but his greatest challenge was tackling Trango Tower, the world's highest freestanding spire with a near-vertical drop. It's also located in one of the most hostile and remote regions on the planet. And when Todd went to find a sponsor for his expedition uh, to free-climb Trango Tower, the experts uh, told the sponsors that a wall that big in a place that remote was simply not meant to be climbed. But Todd moved forward anyway, finding the right climbing team and planning logistics like travel and food and jeeps, porters, permits, equipment, all the clothing, everything that goes along with it. The biggest challenge came when after years of preparation and a rugged 10-day journey across uh, a very difficult terrain, the climbers came face-to-face with the largest, tallest, smoothest, steepest rock, uh, this huge wall that they had never climbed before. And here's how Todd described that moment. We turned a corner, and there it was, Trango Tower, It rose stunningly before us. The reality hit us like a shockwave. 
and we stopped dead in the middle of the track. No amount of bluff or bravado could hide the fact that we were absolutely horrified. The team members had come for this challenge, but now it seemed too high, too vertical, too difficult, even for some of the best of the best to be able to climb. Todd realized that there was only one way forward, in his words, one way forward to get on the wall, even if they weren't completely prepared. And Todd said, the final danger in the preparation process of an expedition is the tendency to postpone leaving until every question has been answered, forgetting that the mountain is the only place the answers can definitively be found. No matter how well prepared you are, how honed your climbing skills are, how vast your expertise, you cannot climb the mountain if you don't get to it. So Todd and his three teammates got on the wall. After 60 days on the wall, they finally reached the summit. Despite years of preparation and training, much of what they learned about climbing the tower was only learned after they got on the wall. As I think about how trying that expedition was, I think about the Christian life and how we really don't learn until we get on the wall, so to speak, until we get on the road and we begin to follow Jesus. Everything that we're looking for is on that road as we follow in the steps of Jesus. So I hope that the epiphanal moment for you this morning is that Jesus has a great life for you, but you can't live it until you take some steps and begin to follow wherever he leads.